Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to the stars of the new Broadway revival of Betrayal, Zowie Ashton, Charlie Cox, and Tom Hiddleston. Ashton is a busy stage and screen actor who U.S. audiences have caught in films like Velvet Buzzsaw, starring opposite Jake Gyllenhaal. Cox is best known on these shores for his three-season stint as a superhero in Marvel's Daredevil TV series, and he also appeared on stage in New York in the 2016 off-Broadway play Incognito. Like Cox, Hiddleston also has a big gig in the Marvel Universe, playing the Norse god of mischief Loki in the Thor and Avengers movies, as well as in an upcoming series on Disney+. He's also starred on TV in The Night Manager, and on stage in the UK in plays like Hamlet and Coriolanus. All three of them are reprising on Broadway the roles they first played in the UK in director Jamie Lloyd's hit revival of Betrayal, Harold Pinter's merciless dissection of infidelity, told in scenes arranged in reverse chronological order. With the show now up and running at the Jacobs Theatre, Ashton, Cox, and Hiddleston are here with me to talk Pinter, superheroes, and why Hiddleston believes everyone should play Hamlet. Everyone. Hi, Zowie, Charlie, and Tom. Thanks for being here. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to start with a really important question for Zowie, which is, Mm -hmm. if and when you yourself join the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which superhero will you play? Such a good question. I, th- I remember actually. There's in the one first... that's recently become vacant, by the way. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want it, but. <laughs> I know a guy, I know a guy. Yeah, actually, someone phoned me today. No, I'm joking. Um, well, weirdly, I, rem- I think I remember saying in the first week or something, I was, I was like, I'm, I'm literally the only one not in a franchise. So I'm literally the disenfranchised member of this group. Um, if I were to have the opportunity to become franchised, um, and franchise, yeah. sorry, franchise, franchise, I like it. Um, I would like to go for Black Panther. It's a good Can one. I do that? Why not? Only if you can Black name Panther at two. least three others. Why is this not on film? The look of horror on Zoe Ashton's face. Three other <laughs> comic book characters. Three other <laughs> characters <laughs> in that film. In that film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's, Black, what's Black Panther's actual name? Black yeah. Panther. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh. I love it. <laughs> Welcome back to that. I don't know which yes. one. I don't know which one I would do. I would like to start my own new comic called Zowie. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a bad superhero name, actually. Thank you. Um, let's talk a little bit about how this production came about. Uh, it began, if I understand it re- correctly, as a scene uh, from a gala that you, Zowie, and Tom did initially. Yes. Tell us about that, and what what about that experience made you interested in? Uh, following up on it um, well so last October October the 18th I think 2018 um, as a celebration um, of Harold Pinter and his work that date or around that date is the was the 10th anniversary of his passing 
and Jamie Lloyd, our director, threw a gala night called Happy Birthday, Harold, um, in honor of Antonia Fraser, his uh, widow, um, who had been so generous and has continued to be so unbelievably generous in allowing actors to perform his work. And um, lots of actors who had had a relationship with Harold in one way or the other came back to read at this thing. Um, Kristen Scott Thomas, Jeremy Irons, um, Lee Evans, Felicity Kendall, um, Sam West. And, and on that night, and it was an extraordinary night, um, which is also very funny. I mean, Simon Russell Beale came back and did a bit of the hot house. Mm. Z- Jamie asked Zowie and myself to read a scene from Betrayal, uh, which was the, cent- the, the central scene of nine, scene five. Um, That's the one in Venice, yes? In Venice, yeah. Okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we read it on the book. and um, Had about 15 minutes rehearsal. Sure, of course. If that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, people, and people afterwards start, asked us if we were rehearsing Betrayal as the closing to the season. Right. And we were like, well, if rehearsing Betrayal means rehearsing for 15 minutes. <laughs> um, but it was just clear that well, Antonia, there was sort Antonia of a was, it was Antonia's it idea. She well, said, that was my, my idea. <laughs> <laughs> it was either, say it was was either Zowie's idea or it was Antonia's <laughs> idea. Yeah. I don't know. Could have been Jamie's idea. Well, I was the one who, I, I, you know, I, I set about that night actually coordinating everyone's dates. Oh, all right. I, I went straight. <laughs> I went straight into sort of producer mode. But what was in, what was and still to me is incredible is the way it started to come together. Because yeah. to have... I mean, it had, it had to come... Antonia had to give... Antonia said at one point, that was, you know, terrific. Would you, would you like to do the whole thing? Oh, God, yeah. Look, I don't have the final word. I don't have the final word of it. <laughs> that was important that she said that at least. Um, <laughs> sure. And then Jamie said, why don't we do it? And then, and then Zowie set about doing her date coordination. Right. I did the date and coordination. Then, yes. And... <laughs> Charlie, when did you get involved? When, when was... Well, that's one of the most well, magical long before parts that, of it altogether. Jamie had said to me, would you like to do Betrayal? And oh. I said, if you get Tom Hiddleston and Zowie, <laughs> yeah. I would definitely... <laughs> Zowie actually has become part of the MCU no, no, no. by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do it. My story is not nearly as interesting, although it is a little interesting in that Jamie and Tom had both apparently thought that I would be right to Jerry. Mm. Had you all worked together before? Or? I worked with Jamie. Okay. Sorry, I don't know. And I knew Jamie, Tom. We've yeah. been friends. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, they had, without me knowing, they'd asked about my availability and I was busy. Mm. So they went elsewhere. That didn't pan out. And happily. Um, happily. Yep. And then in the period when it wasn't pan- panning out, mm. the, my availability, suddenly I was, uh, you know, my show that I was on was, was cancelled. Right, uh, right. But I, I'd actually called, knowing that the, sh- the show that I was on had been cancelled, I'd called my theatre agent and said, can you, can you please have a look and see what's available? And I hadn't right. heard back from him. So I called him on the way to the airport. I was in Los Angeles flying back to New York, and I called him on the way to the airport to give him a bit of a, you know, what's going on? Right. And then he answered the phone, and he said, how about Betrayal with Zoe Ashton and Tom Hiddleston in West End? I was like, that'll do. That was a good answer, yeah. <laughs> very, very fortunate. And then we should say for our listeners who haven't seen the show, it's probably unlike any other production of Pinter that they've seen in that there's basically no furniture on stage. There's very little furniture on stage. And you all, uh, all three of you are on stage at the same time throughout, even in the scenes 
in which not all three characters appear. Uh, everyone sort of lingers as a presence in the scene, even when they are not there. Um, what? Tell me about the that sort of approach and what that does for you. Uh, what was the thinking behind it, and what, is, what does it do for you as actors for your performance? Well, it was a great idea of Jamie's, principally. Um, betrayal, even the term, never mind the play, is about, carries connotations of guilt that any betraying party is going to leave someone betrayed. And so having the the third object, which would always exist in the mind of an affair, present on stage. Um, and actually the play is about, is betrayal as a play is constructed of scenes between couples. Mm-hmm. Uh, starts with Jerry and Emma, then Robert and Jerry, right. then... Jerry and Emma again, and eventually Robert and Emma, and then there's only one scene with the three of them. Right. Um, and I think the idea that the that each couple is almost haunted by the presence of the third it, it, it enlivens for the audience that the this is a triangle, which carries a charge, and that these three relationships—the marriage between Robert and Emma, the friendship between Robert and Jerry, and the affair between Jerry and Emma—are codependent. And that when one of these relationships breaks down, they all break down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, agree- just agreeing and giving more thought to it. It's, for me, what the, the goosebump moment that I had when, when Jamie started to talk about his vision for the production, because I think, weirdly, I'd been reading it, wondering what I do in the breaks between scenes. <laughs> Does that sound really mad? But they're all so, they're, the, the scenes are so potent. And, and um, even just thinking about going off and being on my own felt, felt so, um, it just felt so counter to what the play's doing, which is ramping up this tension and telling this story in reverse chronology. You know, there's a lot to take in. So when, when I picked up the phone to talk to Jamie about what he, his plans were and he said, look, I want this to be a really bare stage and I want the three of you to be present the entire time, it was almost like it really was a eureka moment because it just was the final penny that really dropped for me in terms of connecting to the work and exactly as Tom said, you know, it's an intense... It can feel like as... As, as a reader of Pinter, um, that there isn't, because it is so spare, uh, it can feel like there, from an observer's perspective, that the, an actor doesn't have a whole lot to go on because the words are so spare and sparse. Uh, do you experience that as actors? What is the feeling for you and your experience with it? I think that's such an interesting observation. My experience with, with Pinter was that I, Jamie did, I did a play with Jamie, uh, a Pinter play, The Love and the Collection, 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And when the script was sent to me and I read it, it was the first Pinter play I'd ever read. And I, my feeling was, uh, you know, to my shame, was that it's, nothing really happened. I don't get it. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> right. There's nothing happening. And in the, through the course of the rehearsals, I agreed to do it anyway because... Uh, I had such a no. <laughs> I had no money at the time. Oh, I, like, yeah, no, no, because, <laughs> no, because I sat down with Jamie and I and I was so inspired by him. But my experience through the, through the rehearsal was eye-opening. I was amazed at how 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 many levels there were to it and how much is being said when it's when nothing's being said. And it's, it was such a fun experience to work on. And then so when Betrayal came about, I remember reading it and thinking, 
I know that I don't know half of what is happening here, and, yeah. I, and I would be thrilled to discover that with with um, these two. Right. Uh, who who's responsible? Who's accountable in this situation? Good question. Mm. I think they all are. I think I think uh, the 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 thing I found most fascinating about doing this play is that we will have done this play by the end of the year uh, around just over 250 times what <gasps> are you kidding me? you made that up no that's right yeah I think I'm coming down with a cold are you joking? I've been telling people 150 no, no you're right because you're right it is that long so yeah. we did 109 in London and it's about 150 in New York wow so oh my goodness I don't know exactly I, anyway hats it's, off um, guys hats off <laughs> What you think you do? You do one thing to over two hundred fifty times in yeah. the space of a year, and it becomes a kind of it's like the iterative practice of doing it right. cannot help but reveal new things or deeper resonances, and that's how I've come to appreciate the depth and rigor of his writing is that you constantly are finding new things. And, and to your point, who's accountable? The reason the play so clever is because is that there are, there's not just one betrayal. The most obvious one is that Robert is betrayed by his oldest friend who's having an affair with his wife. And his wife. And don't uh, just, yes, or no. me. Thank you very much. Or Jerry. Or that Robert is betrayed by his wife <laughs> having an affair with his best friend. <laughs> both, both, his wife, both his wife and his best friend betray him. Okay, so that's, <laughs> that's fairly clear. But then there's, there's as often discussed, the betrayal of um, Emma and Jerry by Robert because Robert is, it, Robert discovers, he finds out, and he doesn't tell Jerry that he knows for many years. And so Jerry feels betrayed by Robert. But I think there's also a betrayal of Emma by Robert somehow. Otherwise, there, she would, wouldn't feel that the affair was possible if their relationship was working. You know, perhaps there would be no vacancy when Jerry makes his advance. There would be no... Um, that door would be closed. Yes. Um, and there's also this other betray- betrayal, which I've become really taken with recently, which is... Um, the betrayal of poetry by prose, uh, which is that Robert and Jerry both work in literary circles. Uh-huh. Robert's a publisher. Jerry's a literary agent. And they talk a lot about this, the authors um, from whom they make a lot of money and, and have a very nice life, who they don't respect. But actually their friendship was born out of a passion for poetry and that somehow the older they have got, their lives have become prosaic. And that there is a betrayal of the younger self by the older self, that these more mature men have betrayed the idealists who they used to be in their, in their youth. Yeah. These, these, these ardent um, admirers of great poets like W.B. Yeats. Um, so ultimately, each character betrays, they betray themselves. And, and, and so, that's the great betrayal. And so ultimately, when you ask who's accountable, they're all accountable. They're all accountable for their self-betrayal. Yeah. And it's what you could also argue that it's only, it's only through the betrayal of oneself that you put yourself in a position to be betrayed or to betray other people. That's mm-hmm. very true. Where do you draw the line? 
once you open the betrayal box. <laughs> Which we haven't had not opened yet. <laughs> uh, I was saying to Zawi right before we started recording that uh, the, this production, I've seen other productions of Betrayal before, of course, and this one was struck. What's that? No. Oh. <laughs> like, however. Yeah, and then I thought, yeah. don't ask that. <laughs> um, this one struck me as uh, being unusually sort of tender uh, about. The, the, the sort of feeling among the characters was very tender, that there was a real sense of the sort of loss of the love that... Oh, uh, I'm so pleased. ...that, that you three characters shared, whereas other productions I've seen can be very sort of uh, kind of competitive and jostly and mm. alpha-doggy. Um, was, that, was that a thing that you were sort of steered toward? Was that what you uh, discovered sort of in the moment, or what was... We're three very tender people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I actually say that seriously. Mm. I... I had um, nerves, actually, coming into betrayal. Very low-level nervousness about being the only woman mm. and hoping that there would be uh, room for tenderness and um, softness that I was really picking up on and reading when I was prepping for the, you know, for the part. And... And as soon as I came in, there is part of you as, as, as a woman, when you know you're going to be the only female in the room, that you kind of subconsciously put your boxing gloves on. And this is something I check myself about all the time because you shouldn't do it, but just past experiences sometimes make you do it. You put your subconscious boxing gloves on thinking, right, I'm going to take my space, I'm going to make sure my voice is heard, I'm going to make sure I put my point across and <laughs> before I get sort of swarmed by, you know, all the... Um, all the dick swinging I'm drinking <laughs> but, but you know but that's how you feel and sometimes it is it is unfortunately yeah. I needn't have worried for more than one second mm. because these two men are and Eddie Arnold who plays the waiter and, and you know by extension Jamie and everyone involved but these two men are, obvious, are, are honestly two of the most open honest sweet tender, caring people and actors that I've ever worked with. That's so nice. And I honestly don't know if our production would be the same without those qualities that these men actually have and, you know, I have and the natural elements that we sort of bring. Because I think you, Harold, as a, a wonderful, um, wonderful, uh, what would you call Bonnie Greer back home? Public we have an intellect, amazing intellectual <clears throat> at home um, journalist, Bonnie Greer. Mm. And she came to see the show and she was in absolute pieces at the end. And she just said, he gives you so much room to fuck it up. Harold mm. gives you so much space to make betrayal bad. And, um, and I feel so proud that we've all sort of put it through the lens of, as you say, tenderness or understanding. Because you could put it through a lens of brittleness and, you know, yeah. uh, soreness and hatred. And um, thank you for listening. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All three of you are making your Broadway debut with us. What is, what's your experience of Broadway and how are we Broadway audiences different from uh, your experiences in London and the West End and elsewhere? And, and is the community any different? Does it feel any different to you? It's wonderful. It's been incredibly warm. That's the thing I, I've noticed is uh, 
the community is very generous and very welcoming and we all got we got opening night cards from all the other companies on yeah. Broadway all the other theatres I thought that was really touching um, and there is something special and unique about Broadway um, and even the, geogra- the geographical proximity of the buildings is, is something, there's something you feel you're a part of the community so it's been wonderful truly all three of you have done uh, quite a bit of work on screen as well. Um, how, do you, how do you think about theater fitting into your overall career uh, in, and fitting into the work you do on screen? Uh, you know, it, it's so interesting. You, as an actor, you can't have a plan. And I've never had a plan. And um, I, uh, I'm always impressed <laughs> by um, that, um, that sometimes there's a presumption that, I've, that, that things have been kind of organized. But really, it's just that you choose the best work available. And, um, I mean, theatre has always been part of my life. It's where I started. And I've always wanted to keep it going. Because I think there's something very unique about the practice of uh, theatre performance and theatre making that's different from filmmaking because, of, because it's live. And um, I'd never, I always wanted to try everything uh, because the discipline and rigor required to do both acting on stage and acting on camera, they're so specific and so unique. Um, And I think they inform each other, actually. I think there's a a kind of um, precision about acting for camera, which demands a a real honesty because um, the film director Terence Davis once told me the camera captures the truth but it also captures falsity so if you don't feel it don't do it right. um, and, and weirdly I think I think uh, that kind of truthfulness is something that I've always wanted to I've always been inspired by and other great actors people like Simon Russell Beale and um, Alex Jennings and um Vanessa Redgrave, you know, you watch these great actors and you think there's something very honest about what they're doing, even on stage, and to try and get close to that. It, it seems like Pinter in particular is, uh, feels like could be ripe for a close-up. Like, I imagine that uh, all of your work has done, that you folks have done on screen might be, might sort of play into the way you approach something like this on stage. Would, would you agree with Absolutely. that? Mm. Well, Pinter, uh, Pinter I, I'm, I'm, Sally and Charlie are very used to me boring on about this but when I when I was about um, 26 that's when I first came across Pinter's lecture when he won the Nobel Prize Mm. for literature in which he talks at depth about his career as a playwright and what he believes was the point of it which was the exploration of reality through art the trying to uh, approximate or represent the truth of human beings um, and the many truths that we feel and share in dramatic art. And this, this truth is different from the truth uh, of being a citizen and that there is no one truth and the search for it is compulsive. You never quite find it. Maybe you stumble upon it in the dark and then it slips through your fingers. Mm. And I was a young actor at the time and I thought that actually is the, for me it articulated brute, um, beautifully the point of being an actor which is that uh, even though it's pretend even though it's make-believe even though it's um, the circumstances are imagined 
that we all gather together in the theatre to watch something uh, that reflects how we feel about being alive. Uh, and the, the goal of actors is to try to be truthful, even though the circumstances are imagined. And so there's something very... Uh, I, for me, th that idea has always been wedded to Pinter and his name and his work. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying kind of really adds to that. Yeah, there's, there's the, the spareness of his language, I think, lends itself to what you're saying as well. I, I have been a writer for a long time, a playwright for a long time, yeah. as well as an actor, and I've taken a lot of inspiration from Pinter since we've been doing this. Well, sorry. Yeah. sorry. <laughs> no, please, you're asking me right now. Well <laughs> just, just here blowing my own horn. <laughs> but no, but the reason why I mention it is because as a young writer... I just wanted to write everything that I felt. I, I, I overwrote everything. I still overwrite everything. I, I'm learning how to be more spare. But you want to sort of put everything down because you want everyone to know that this play or this piece that you've done is representative of you and everything you feel in the world. And what Harold does so amazingly is this spare, this spare incredible... Um, just creates these spare landscapes and he says almost nothing he sort of underwrites but i personally have never felt more kind of viscerally moved by um by, by language by you know a writer's sort of style and so yeah i think this this does feel like one big close-up sometimes this production and this play because occasionally there's really barely anything going on at all, but everything going on at the same time. Yeah. Please. The only thing I would, I would, you know, talking about the difference between theatre and film, yeah. the, 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 and one of the reasons that I, aside from enjoying it so tremendously when doing it, one of the reasons I try and stay as close to it as possible is because I really believe that, you, that it's like, the theatre is like an actor's gym, in that that's where you, that's where you get better. Mm. Because not to say you can't doing film and television, you absolutely can, but a lot of, particularly in television, with the amount of time given and the fact that every day is a new day and it's a new scene and it's new dialogue and it's new you know, actors and sets and environments, you're really in a position where you are trying to display as best as you can what you do. In the theatre, you've got the same play, the same dialogue, night after night after night. And you are forced to find new ways to keep it fresh and alive. You're forced to discover things about the play, but about yourself. And it's almost, I, almost, I come off plays often feeling like that I've just lifted the ceiling a little bit mm -hmm. to what I'm capable of. Um, and that's, the, that's the great thrill. I think that's what we. That's the great thrill, thrill for, for any for anyone who has a craft, which is that you know that, that, that they they work and they're, they're hoping that in working that they can get better. Yeah. Okay. Last question. If you could play any part on stage right now, what would it be? Go. Go on, Tom. <laughs> I always get very. I get very. Um, hmm. See, I never want to tempt fate by articulating it. Because uh, I do have. Right. <laughs> I don't know that it is. I agree with that. I totally uh, agree with that. There are so there are a few. There are a few. Uh, my my dance card is full. 
Um, well. <laughs> I mean, I should be so lucky. But I never said out loud. So here's an example. I never, ever publicly said I wanted to play Hamlet. But I did. And I have. So. There, right. Yeah. Right. So I, does that mean I can't ask either of you? You can. Uh, I yeah. just personally <laughs> feel. I just feel that I always don't want to cheat myself. I'd like to play Hamlet. <laughs> we have that on, on the record, Charlie Cox. I'll never have to now. That's so weird. Yeah. I would like to play Hamlet. Yeah, yeah. That's a good answer. <laughs> Everyone should play Hamlet, I think, actually. Yeah. yeah. Have you played Hamlet? Even no, on. certainly not. I, I, here's what I believe about that part, yeah. which is that it's the reason it's the, what the greatest part, perhaps, written ever in the English language is because there's very little in the way of character. Mm. And the demand of the actor is that essentially you have to bring yourself to the play. Um, you can't, there's no, the, the simplest character description is Prince of Denmark, father has just died. Right. Everything else is up for grabs. And you have to connect to um, grief, family, heaven, your own soul, the afterlife, love, friendship, revenge, the existence of God, um, courage, depression, loss, sadness, and desire. And, and you're given the most um, heart-wrenching poetry ever been externalized in English. And you have to bring yourself, Zowie or Charlie. Are you making or, notes, Charlie? I'm doing uh, mine with an eye patch and a world <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to stop there. Who <laughs> okay. wouldn't want to spend 90 minutes with these three, eh? Oh, it's brilliant. Cloak my patch in a world cup. That's my hammer. Okay. Okay. Thank you, guys. Sorry. Thanks Thank for you. Doing oh, by the way, can I do before you, before you go? That, it, what, I was actually genuinely so moved by what you were saying about that. I didn't mean to make, to compl- <laughs> make it a joke about it. That's all right. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Zowie Ashton, Charlie Cox, and Tom Hiddleston, the stars of Betrayal, now playing at Broadway's Jacobs Theatre through December 8th. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, I'd very much appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, or tell a friend. Coming up, we're back on our weekly schedule, so you'll only have to wait seven days to hear me chat with two great big theatre names, Eileen Atkins and Jonathan Price, both starring in the Broadway play In the Height of the Storm. Until then, see you at the theatre. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.